This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. So this is case number 12 in the Mumankans. Zuigang calls Master. Every day Zuigang used to call out to himself, Oh, Master. And then he answered himself, Yes. Are you awake? He would ask. And then answer, Yes, I am. Never be deceived by others. Any any day, any time. No, I will not. Moomin's Commentary. Old Zuigan himself sells and himself buys. He has a lot of masks of gods and demons to play with. Why? A calling one, an answering one, an awake one, and one who will not be deceived by others. If you see these different appearances as really existing, you are altogether mistaken. If you adhere to any one of these, you are, you are totally mistaken. If, however, you imitate Suigan, your understanding is that of a fox. Woman's poem. Those who search the way of Zen do not realize the truth. They only recognize their own discriminating consciousness. This is the cause of the endless cycle of birth and death. Ignorant people take it for the true original self. So this is a very intriguing and famous koan, Master Zuigan, or Jian in Chinese, uh, circa mid-800s, was a successor of Yanto, uh, Oganto, another great master of the Tang period, which is the golden age of Zen in China. We might assume that the master is simply calling out to himself to pay attention, to be alert, to be present, to practice awareness and mindfulness. And those are important reminders that we need to do, to attend, to be aware, to be present. But this koan is inviting us to see our fundamental nature beyond the duality of paying attention or not paying attention, as important as that may be. To see deeply into Zuigan's calling and answering is to enter where practice and realization are one. Interestingly enough, in a way this koan originates when Zuigan meets his teacher, Ganto or Yanto, for the first time. He asks him, what is the original and everlasting truth? And Yanto says, it moved. Zuigan asked, well, what about when it moves? What happens when it moves? Where is it then? Yanto says, you don't see the original and everlasting truth. So why is it when it moves you cannot see the original and everlasting truth? What is the movement? 
Where is the movement? Is it moving right here now? Or is something else being offered here? And with these questions, where do you find yourself? So every day, Zuigan used to call out to himself, Oh, Master. And then he answered himself, Yes. Are you awake? He would ask and then answer, Yes, I am. Never be deceived by others. Any day, any time. No, I will not. He would also start every Taisho he gave by saying this aloud to his students. Shibayama Roshi, commenting on Suigan's use of the term master, says, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, usually when we use the term master, we are speaking of the subject of an object. Master of something. But this is not Suigan's context. Suigan is not being self-referential or other-referential. He says, master. Is he referring to himself? Is he negating himself? Who is the master? Is the master Zuigan? Is it the Buddha? Is it you? If it's not any of these, who is Zuigan addressing this to? Each time Zuigan says these words, he is re-entering his own awakening for the first time. He says this every day. He says this every day he gives a talk. And each time he re-enters for the first time. When the infant Buddha supposedly said upon his birth, first taking seven steps. Under heaven and earth, I am the only one. What was the context? Is he talking about Gautama when he said, I am the only one? Yeah, me. I'm it. He's not referring to interbeing. He's not Referencing Buddha nature pervades the whole universe. It is Suigan, alone, all and wholly alone. So, given that, where was he placing himself in this world? Suigan speaks to this. Master, yes, he says. From the where he is, he is the only one who can come forth. But this is not just an affirmation, nor nor is it a yes of triumph. Yes! 
Shugen Roshi, in his encouragement this morning, spoke of joyful affirmation. That our determination, our faith, our relationship with this Dharma, Dharma meaning truth, the whole phenomenal universe, our questioning does not have to be grim. More than that, as our practice blends into realization, there is a profound and subtle joy, a fullness to our being that we are in the process of realizing, breath by breath by breath. It's a noetic sense of joy. Yes. It's not bound by emotion. There may be emotion, there may not be. But that's, that limitation is not there. It's a yes that has no boundary. And yet, is you yourself. When Zuigan says, are you awake? Are you awake? This is the whole of it. Are you awake? It's not an encouragement. It's not a directive. It's not mind stuff. Are we awake is a question that's the answer. It's the entrance, rather, to wakefulness itself. It is the desire to awaken that is deep within us that no matter how deeply hidden and how much we protect ourselves from, that every human being has within them. Are we awake? Coming forth here and now. Alive, vibrant, clear, worldly. In this world, simply because this world is a suffering factory, are we awake? And what will you do about this world? We often quote Dogen Zenji's Genjo Koan. Probably all or most of us are familiar with it. To study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. But sometimes we don't continue the quote. When actualized by the myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. No trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace continues endlessly.
no trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace enlightenment continues endlessly. Where does this live as practice realization? How does this live? How? In your practice. He answered himself, yes. Are you awake? Are you awake? Yes. And then he says, and I will not be deceived by others. No, I won't be deceived by others. This is being traceless enlightenment. And this is not a matter for us sitting in Zazen to look at the Genjo Koan as a sequential way of understanding ourselves in practice. From the Dharma perspective, time is not linear. It goes from the past to the present, and it also goes from the present to the past, and it goes from the past to the future, and from the future to the past. That's why you're sitting here. You're sitting here to honor the Dharma ancestors, to help them realize themselves in your own realization. Where do you find time in that? Where do you find linearity in that? not being deceived by others. Who are the others? Are they his own others that are within his discriminating mind? Are they the Buddhas and ancestors? Are they his own sense of enlightenment that he is speaking to? Is this not no trace continues endlessly as a living, breathing thing? What's being left out there? Mumun's comment. Old Zuigan himself sells and himself buys. He has a lot of masks of God and demons to play with. A calling one, an answering one, an awake one, and one who will not be deceived by others. If you see these different appearances as really existing, you are altogether mistaken. If you adhere to any one of these, you are totally mistaken. If, however, you imitate Suigan, your understanding is that of a fox. <coughs> Old Suigan himself sells and himself buys. This seems like criticism, but it's not. It is what we all must do to awaken. We are deluded. We are awakened. From the first time we sit Sazen, we have to ask ourselves, as we think, as we talk, what is the truth of what I am buying and what I am selling? 
is this. When I speak, when I act, when I think, the truth manifesting. What do we buy and sell? He has a lot of masks of gods and demons to play with. Don't we all? A calling one, an answering one, an awake one, and one who will not be deceived by others. So here we are. Here we sit in the midst of Sashin with the gods and demons. The people in our head that speak for us, that act as us. Our old friends, our old acquaintances. For the most part, not entirely, but for the most part, we know them well. And we have many. In Buddhism, one perspective of this is the six realms. The hungry ghost, the fighting demons, the animal realm, the human realm. These are unenlightened realms, there are others. I made a list of some of the beings that we can find within us. It's a more psychologicalized list, but I suspect we can identify with these beings we know so well. The one who is always right, the being who is always wrong, the rule maker, the rules we set to live by, and that we have to follow, the caretaker person, the rebel, the intellect, the thinker, my mind will figure it out. The one in charge, the controller, the victim, the complainer, the judge, our favorite inner critic. One day you'll get it right, not today. The Zen student, the Zen teacher, the entertainer, the passive-aggressive one. I get a million of these. (laughs) And they speak us. I don't remember the exact full context, but um, recently I saw the Black Klansman. Some of you may have seen it. And very briefly, it's a story of a person of color um, in maybe the 60s or 70s, who I think it takes place in the South, um, maybe Texas. Um, And he's a policeman, and he's trying to infiltrate the the Klan. And so the only way he can obviously do it without being seen is by phone. So in the course of discussing this with his police partners, I don't remember exactly how the dialogue goes, but one of them says, how are you going to do this? And he says, oh, I'll just use my white voice. And it it reminded me, growing up in Brooklyn in a a blue-collar to middle-class area, 
with its rough spots, that the only way I learned to survive is using my Brooklyn voice. You want to mess with me? Do you really want to mess with me? And it's not just in the words. I mean, do you? So really, within us, we have a village. In the village are many, many beings, many voices. People inside us. And when one comes forth as me, that is me. In those moments, the energy of my being is all that I know. That is who I am. And from that person's perspective, it makes complete sense. So if the only thing the voice so the only thing the voice of shame knows is shame. That's it. That's what it speaks, directly or indirectly. The only perspective of my voice of judgment is judgment. I will judge you. Failure voice only knows failure. And there are more subtle voices as well, the hidden ones, the ones we do not give permission to be present in our awareness. You know, our shadow voices. It's one of the reasons Sangha is so crucial, is because we don't see our shadow voices, but everyone around us does. There are great subtleties within our voices. the personas who judge those I perceive as different than me, racially, or gender preference, or any other way, are some of the subtleties. If we wish to awaken in a way that actually affects our life and the lives of those we encounter, We have to know our voice that is present, that is thinking, that is speaking. We are trying, often clumsily, to try and hear our voices. In hearing, we can acknowledge them. We can be aware of these gods and demons that make up our village. And that's a powerful first step to simply be aware of our mind's dream that we are talking to and is speaking us. And yet beyond this acknowledgement, can we honor, can we respect and love the parts of ourselves we have spent many years running away from or indulging in blind desires? Many of those lists of the people in our village, we don't want. We don't want them here. So we don't acknowledge them. But think, what do you want more than anything else? What does any person want? We want to be loved. We want to be embraced. What other things? that that's such a primary desire, such a natural human desire to be loved. 
Can we respect, can we honor and love the parts of ourselves we have spent many years running away from? So this is also crucial because in our acknowledgement of our relative selves, we need to be able to consciously choose to have who among us we wish to speak us. We have to be conscious of that. And that's not a small thing. Just imagine, just to make it more personal, if I use my teacher voice with my lover, how does that work out for you? (laughs) Hogan, it does not work out for you very well. So how can we do this? And do it from our tree, true home. Do it, do it from master. We say this more subtly in Zen. How do we speak without using our lips? How do we say our words and communicate without being caught up in the persona of ourselves? In seeing that we are fundamentally empty of a fixed self, we also have to see that to function, to actually offer our life as a helpful being, addressing the pain and suffering that we see around us. We have to both be grounded in our true home and free within all ourselves to speak and to act, whatever helps. Now, ourselves can be hell, or they can be heaven. They can lead us to deep delusion, or they can lead us to deep realization. They're just being what they are. And they're just there to love us. When we turn our awareness to who is speaking, who is acting, who is thinking, among those people in our village, we have incredible power to help, just as we have incredible power to be harmed and to harm others out of this. So it's important not to stick in either side. We are empty of a fixed identity And seeing how attaching to such identity creates harm, creates separation. We can also see that to deny any part of us creates suffering. Because when we deny the parts, especially the parts we don't like, they're still there. They still act. But now they're disguised from ourselves. We refuse to look at them. We refuse to acknowledge our existence. How does it feel when someone refuses to acknowledge your existence? How does that feel? It's very, very powerful in our reaction. The Bodhisattva path is the path of wholeness. Our relative personas arising out of selflessness stepping forward 
as a person, speaking as a person. It's not two things. It's not two things. I was recently struck by this in Lama Rod Owen's article on the lion's roar a couple issues ago. Lama Owens is, I believe, the first person of color to be recognized in the Tibetan lineage as a Lama. So listen carefully to his sense of working with his realization of his absolute self-nature and his sense of the peoples and voices of his self-identity that he lives out in the world. You have to read into this, because both sides are there. He says, I'm quoting him, Rod was the person I had earned the right to be. Rod had gone gone through years of working directly with self-hate, depression, and low esteem to emerge fierce, fabulous, edgy, and beautiful. Meeting the Dharma had furthered my personal and interpersonal transformation. But now I was trying to fit the mold of being a Lama, a role largely informed by tradition and by other people's expectation of me. I needed to bring Rod back into center and place him in dialogue with Lama Rod. This approach drastically shifted my teaching style and my role as a teacher when I regrounded myself in my many identities. I came to embrace that I was teaching from a place of intersectionality. Intersectionality speaks to the reality that we are influenced by any number of identities, all of which are informed further still by our social and political locations. We are not just white or black or gay, straight, queer or transgender, male or female, We are an expression of a community of identities and and influences that may not be apparent to those around us or even to us. And I want to stress, even to us. In my case, I was a black, polyqueer, able-bodied, cisgender, male llama, who is of mixed class and racially minded. This seems like a lot. And the first time I read this, I go, wow, he's got a lot of gods and demons. But then he goes on to say, but if we are really in tune with our various identities, identity locations, we will all similarly find a great deal of complexity, and these identities are always shifting. Practice grants us the space to allow this shifting to happen and to call that shifting our home. Where is, he asked, the everlasting truth? It moved. Now let's be clear here. We are here in the Zendo to awaken. What are we awakening to? A fundamental identity has no fixed point, yet it is unbounded and ever-present. It cannot be diminished or increased. It is not subject to life or death, yet it is you, yourself, 
we can speak of this as empty of a self. We can speak of forgetting the self. And we can also speak of to forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things and our myriad things. We are expressing our life through selves that have been seen through. And in our seeing, we can create either distance and apartness or true wisdom and compassion. Given this, it's crucial that we attend to ourself, that we study ourself, that we study our gods and friends that we have within us. And so carefully, reflected both in formal zazen and within the world of power, prejudice, ours, and others, and the misery that becomes visible as we reflect and educate and become intimate with the other, the other we have created inside me and outside. There are places we are conditioned to be comfortable within. And we live within a system of training that is universal for all of us in our society. Universal in the MRO. Universal wherever you go. It's a system set up for some, by some, that obviously and powerfully sets up the system for those who benefit the most from it. We all live within this system, and it affects and hurts all of us. There is work to be done here, and it's critical for each of us, individually and collectively, to do it. It's not easy. The operative word is messy, because the karma of these systems have been in place so long and are so powerful that nobody knows how to address it. And no matter how we address it, there'll be leftover karma from that. More work to do. So it's not comfortable. And yet it's critical to our vows, to our happiness, that we do it. No matter how confused we may be, no matter how threatened we may be, because you will be threatened, I will be threatened by this. We're upsetting apple carts when we go in this direction. Shugen Roshi clearly and directly spoke to this in the Ango opening. I hope we all listened and heard his words. The suffering that is embedded in our racial gender, and non-heterosexual perspectives is powerfully present, directly affecting all of us in this conditioned society, yet is often completely invisible and unacknowledged by us in power. In our vows to save all beings, we don't say, except those who are different than me. 
We say all beings. After all, from a relative perspective, all beings are different than me. This is what we're here investigating. This is exactly what we're here investigating. Are they different? Are they the same? Are not all people contained within me, as me? How do I investigate this? No trace of enlightenment remains, and this no trace continues endlessly. We go straight ahead. It doesn't matter if this is your first session or your 200th session. We go straight ahead into this investigation. It doesn't matter if you consider yourself clear and deeply embedded in prajna and compassion or confused and lost. We go straight ahead into these questions. It may feel that it's all I can do just to count my breath, to be present with my physical and mental suffering that revolves around my own limitations. And there's something to this. But we each can work from wherever we are. It actually doesn't matter where we are. We start there. And we each can aspire and start from where we are not. We can aspire and start and let go of what is not helpful and aspire to what is helpful. It's pretty simple, really. Are we seeing all beings as ourself? Are we willing to start looking at centuries of constructed race, gender, and sexual identities? Are we willing to look at ourself, this specific self, and see what is at the very bottom of who we are? Master, master, be awake. As well as what is visible and what is the relative perspective, the functional perspective, seen and unseen, of who we are and how we are. And so Moomin says, if you see these different appearances as really existing, you are altogether mistaken. It moves. If you adhere to any one of them, you are totally mistaken. If you stick, you're creating deep and profound suffering. And yet you can't make believe. You can't imitate. There's no cookbook here. Moomin's poem. Those who search the way of Zen do not realize the truth. They only recognize their own discriminating consciousness. This is the cause of the endless circle of birth and death. Ignorant people take it for the true original self. It's interesting that at a certain point in practice, there's actual mourning for the self that we've brought into our whole life. And we're coming face to face with the fact that that has to be given up. Or nothing further will happen. We will just cling 
to a recognition of our own discriminating consciousness, which is the cause of the endless circle of birth and death. And it's, it's a real facing. It's a real mourning. M-O-U-R. So if we do not practice and awaken, then we're continuing the 12-link chain of causation. We're creating suffering for ourselves and others. Aren't you tired of doing that? Don't you get tired of doing that? I hope so. I hope we all get tired of doing that. Because we all do that. So let's not fool ourselves. Here we are. We can do something about delusion and suffering. And right here, right now, is the place we can do that. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us on October 18th to 21st at Zen Mountain Monastery for A Sudden Flash of Spaciousness, an introduction to mind training with Buddhist teacher and writer Judy Leaf. For details or to find out more about ZMM programs, visit our website at zmm.org.